Hey everyone, this is Ben Chapman. Thank you for listening to Luminous Church Podcast. It's always an honor that you would take time out of your day to listen to us. We hope that you would see Jesus more clearly today and that you would also be inspired to make a difference wherever you find yourself. Enjoy today's sermon and God bless you. Good morning. Come on. Come on, somebody. The faithful. The faithful here. The Cowboys are playing, but you're like, I'm not even a Cowboys fan. And so you're here at church this morning during this hour. And so I'm so thankful that you came. If if you're streaming it right now while I'm preaching, I won't get mad. Just put it on mute. Just make sure it's on mute so I don't we aren't disrupted. So my name is Ben Chapman. I'm, I'm the, one of the pastors here at Luminous Church. And I just want to say welcome. Welcome to our church. Welcome to our family, uh, where, where we consider it more than just a moment of, of worship and word, but we consider it family and an extension of, of Jesus's body. And so we're so glad that you're here and so glad that you're joining us on this journey of who am I? Everybody say, who am I? Look at your neighbor and say, who am I? Like you're really confused. Who am I? Who am I? This is this is the journey that we've been on. We kicked it off last week with my South African rugby, professional rugby friend, Ernie Kruger, was in the house with us. And, man, he was so excited. He's, he's over six foot, and so he sat on a stool because if you're over six feet on this stage, you look like a giant. And, uh, and so he actually sat down, but he was so excited. He was just bouncing the whole time. Did y'all see that? I mean, it was just incredible, his energy. His excitement, his enthusiasm for the gospel. And so I, I'm, I'm excited for week two and just sharing God's word with you. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18 is where we're going to be in a moment. Um, I do want to say a couple of things. Uh, we kicked off life groups last week, and we're all starting a journey called Who Am I? And we have these books in the foyer. And they uh, suggested $10 donation. We ran out of books last week, so we have some more books today. So grab your book and start reading this with us. It's really important that you would do so. We really feel like it'll add benefit. How many of you are, got that book and started reading it by a show of hands? Okay, okay. We got a few. We got a few, and we need a few more on there in this service. Praise God. And then also, we want to encourage you. We have these invite cards, and so if you want to invite people to discover purpose, that's really the hope that happens in this series, that we would discover purpose. Why did God make me? That's the question that we've been asking since the beginning of time. Who am I? Who am I? And, and we believe that through this six-week series that you're going to discover more of who you were created to be. So invite somebody to attend Luminous Church and hear about this, hear about this sermon and what God's doing. We had over 50 or over 50 percent, I think about 60 percent of our church in life groups this week. That's incredible. Give yourself a hand. That's amazing. That's amazing. So that's over 60% of our church going through this journey. And I just, I want to say I'm just so proud of you because it is busy right now. Traffic is insane. The devil of traffic has attacked our city. And uh, we're praying for deliverance of more lanes. I just don't know when it will happen. And so, so whether you 
are caught in traffic or you're busy with your kids' extracurriculars or maybe you're a student and you've been studying for that exam or whatever it may be, you took time out of your busy week to invest in a life group. I want to say thank you for doing that. I really feel like God will begin to add value to you as you do that. So thank you for taking this journey with us. And thank you for those who have stepped out and leading a life group who have never done it before. I'm proud of you for doing that. That's a big step. And I know that just as you heard Ernie's message on insecurity last week and God wants to work through your insecurity, knowing that, man, I don't feel equipped to lead a group. I don't feel like I can do this. But God wants to work through that and do something amazing. And so comparison is what we're going to talk about today. How many of you struggle with comparison? You don't have to raise your hand. But if you do, you know, then you really need to be here. Uh, So we just... Man, I struggle with comparison. I'm going to be a little vulnerable with you this morning. My hope is to be vulnerable enough that you would identify with this message. Uh, I'll let you know right now that even though I have the microphone and God has entrusted me to oversee this church, I am far from perfect. I've fallen short in so many ways. And comparison is one thing that gets me. It just gets me. Uh, I'll tell you a story this past week that happened is... I was dropping Benson off. He's in kindergarten. That's my that's my oldest boy and and uh, my only boy. And I was dropping him off at Cornerstone and and we were going to kindergarten. And I've always been so excited because I'm five seven and Brandy's five one, which which that means that our kids don't have a lot of chance. You know, a lot of hope to be taller, you know, than I mean, it'd be a miracle if they're if they're six foot. That would be a miracle. But. Our son has stood uh, head height above every other kid, and he's always been in the, you know, 90th percentile, and I just, I kind of got a little excited about that. Like, my son has hope, and, and then we found out he's a lefty, and so, so not only is he going to be tall, but he's a lefty, and the MLB contract is just right around the corner if we just steward him in such a way and and cultivate the gift mix that he has inside of him and so so I was so excited and then and then I was jumping off at school this week and I noticed something I noticed that he hasn't been growing as much lately and all the kids seem to be getting taller and and I started comparing right now comparing my future of my son and comparing his future endeavors and all this stuff and I, I started this comparison thing where oh no we got to feed them some we got to get them some broccoli or something when we get home we got to do something in order to give him more heights and and I just know I'm not alone in comparison right I'm not alone we, we're all all faced with comparison and comparison is that thing that will fuel the insecurities inside of you. Comparison is the thing that will fuel the pride inside of you, that, that you're proud because of this moment and you're comparing. And if you're ahead, then you're up on the game. And if you're behind, then all of a sudden there's this insecurity inside of you to start comparing even more so. And, and this is, uh, I, I've, I've realized comparison when I was a very young lad, when I was on the third grade playground. I was hanging out, and this is one of the first moments I remember comparing, uh, singing out with a group of guys, and we we're all hanging out, and and uh, with my short man complex, I, I, I began to f- realize, like, I, <laughs> that I need therapy, and uh, <laughs> praise God for freedom ministry. 
I should go. And uh, I was on the third grade playground, and my friend Joseph was the tallest one. He was about a foot taller than everybody, what, what seems like a foot when you're third grade. You know, it could have been inches. And, and I was the, one of the shortest in the, in the group circles. And I remember comparing myself with, with Joseph often, like, man, he's so tall, and he gets all the attention. And, and then it was validated by the other students who were saying, man, Joseph, you're so tall. You could, you could beat up anybody. Like, you could just, man, you could beat up anybody in the school. And, then all of a sudden, they picked on the little guy. They said, you could beat up Ben. And, uh, and right there, when they said that, that was my moment. I was either going to make myself or be made. And so I, I, I made a fist, and I just, poof, I punched him in the face. And I think I jumped because he was so tall. I had to get off the ground. And they were all like, oh, Joseph, Ben can beat up anybody. And I was like, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. And then I think I ran off before he could throw out any other punches. <laughs> it's a really sad moment. Uh, but I remember that was my introduction to comparison, comparing myself of, of who I was, right, in this moment was being measured by somebody else in the circle. And this is what we see oftentimes when it comes to comparison and First Samuel is actually going to talk about this kind of measuring each other, measuring of oneself against maybe another person's success. In First Samuel, we have three characters. The first character is King Saul. When King Saul was chosen, he was a head taller than everybody else. He was set apart. He was handsome. He was, you know, he was the man's man, the GQ cover. He was, he was the one that everybody wanted to be, and they promoted him into kingship, and he became king of Israel at that time. And we see him in this story, and, and, and Saul basically, he... <clears throat> He was confident, but then not confident. He had a lot of pride and a lot of insecurities. And then, and then we see this other person, David. And David was the, the person who was overlooked. You see, he was the one tending to the sheep while all the other brothers were in battle, while all the other brothers went. When it was time to anoint a new king by the prophet, as the prophet was walking around Samuel, and he was going to anoint the new king. He, he looked at all the brothers, and he looks and says, is there anybody else, Jesse? Is there any other, is there any other person? And he said, I have a son who's tending the sheep, but no matter him, he's not tall, and he may not be the best looking. And he just went overlooked quite a bit. And I, I just think that's sometimes where comparison can begin to happen is when we go overlooked and question for you today is you have you ever been overlooked overlooked maybe for a promotion overlooked when you were applying for that school and you didn't get in but your other friend got in overlooked when somebody got the raise and you didn't get the raise I, I think we all can identify with this that that we can be overlooked maybe a parent showing a sibling more favor than you, where you feel overlooked. There's moments where we feel overlooked, and what do we do with that? And, and then the third character in this, in this passage of 1 Samuel 18 and 20 is Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's son. He's the 
rightful heir to the throne as it would be. And and he's supposed to he has all the accolades. He's a son in the kingdom. And and Jonathan and David became really good friends. Let's pick it up in first Samuel 18. Verse six, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul. With singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. There's this moment where David, he, he, he basically comes to battle. He slays the giant, and he's everybody's hero in this moment. And they're singing a song saying, David has killed his tens of thousands, and Saul just his thousands. It's, it's all of a sudden a measurement that's being taken place. And there's this moment where Saul starts this inner dialogue or this inner dialogue with himself he starts this self-talk and he starts saying who is this what has he done I mean what is he going to do he starts measuring and his eyes are what fixed no longer on his calling but on David his eyes are fixed not on on his gifts not on the fact that he is king not on the fact that his army just had the victory his army just won it was fixed right it was fixed on actually david and this is what comparison does as we start comparing one another and comparing our life we no longer look at our calling and what god's put in us we start looking at other people's and afraid of their calling and wanting their calling and wanting their position and wanting what they have. Jonathan wanted what's best for David, though. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 30, it says this. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Wow. What if your father said that to you? I mean, talking about some wounds right there. I mean, that's crazy. My, my wife doesn't let me talk like that at all. I would be in the doghouse if that happened. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, this is David, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. What, what has he done? And see, Saul entered into a game, a game of comparison. And the game of comparison that you enter, you will never win that game. As you start that conversation and that inner dialogue and that self-talk, you realize that you're not going to win that game. That actually it is going to it's going to beat you up. And every time you have these thoughts, 
of do I compare? What does it look like? And starting to measure my possessions with their possessions. I start measuring my, my um, let's say, hypothetically, 03 Tahoe with hell damage that happened from Hellstorm that now has a salvage title to somebody else's brand new car. Hypothetically speaking, we start doing that and <laughs> we realize, like, start comparing and we start having this self-talk. We start having these moments of, of comparing one another's not only possessions, but also their looks and, and their wardrobe and whatever else they may have and their, maybe even their personality and you start comparing. And every time you start the self-talk, it's like getting a defibrillator. And that which was dead, you charge up and you shock back to life. You bring it back to life, and all of a sudden, you start bringing this comparison back up into your life, into what you are. And now, there's three things that we must do to stop or kill comparison. Three things I'm going to leave you today with to kill comparison, because obviously, it is devastating. And it has been heightened, heightened right, with social media. Have you noticed that? Like, it used to be nice when, before social media, before you could see pictures of everybody's vacation this summer, before you could see everybody's, like, their life, you know, that was portraited just perfectly and, and just, just in such a way. Before that, right, you could actually just go into your house and shut the door and you wouldn't compare. Those were nice days, right? Those are great days, but with social media, this is something that has fueled our culture where all of a sudden we start doing this more and more. How many likes did he get for that? How many likes did I get for that? I'm going to post the same picture that he posts at the same time, and we're going to see who gets the most likes. I mean, it's the same picture, and all of a sudden they're liking that, that one better because it had a different filter. You know, it was the X-Pro2 filter or something like that. We start comparing our lives and we start doing this. So how do we kill it? How do we stop it? The first thing is we have to stop finding our identity in things that are measured. You have to stop finding your identity in things that are measured. Now, now let me say this. There are things that are measured that are good, right? Like it's good to measure uh, um, maybe the growth of your company. It's good to measure like how you're doing on the syllabi. It's good to measure, right, some of these things that, that are in life. Uh, I'm not talking about that. But when your measurement comes to your identity and who you are, we have to stop measuring those things. We have to stop doing it. When we're on the college campus, I, I told Pastor Austin, I'm going to be on the college campus every week. It was amazing. Ross and I, we teamed up today, last week, and we were evangelizing, tag teaming, and inviting people out to ENC and telling them about Jesus. And, and oftentimes, it's like the question that you would get is, what makes Christianity so much different than all the other religions? Like, like comparatively, like as we compare these things, like, like what, what makes yours better? And, and they move into a comparison because if yours is, if yours like seemingly measures better, then I will choose that one. And, and then so we start comparing or, or you'll have this, this moment where you have two people of different religions coming together and they're comparing one another. And, and I just want to let you know that, that this is what we teach and this is what we try to display is that Christianity may be a religion in the encyclopedia, maybe a religion according to Wikipedia, it may be a religion according to dictionary, but we know that religion or, or Christianity is actually relationship. 
It's about a relationship. It, it, it has nothing to do. It's not religion. It's a relationship between you and God. And that relationship is not something to be measured, but it's something to be had. It's not about doing more and more and more in order to get to God. It's about what he's already done. And he came to us so that we can be sons and daughters and be called friends of God. It's this relationship that happens. It's a beautiful thing. It's, it's not something that's measured. And, and then you have every religion, right, who, who's founder of the religion, right, who, who said this is how you get to God. Every founder of every religion is dead. But Christianity is the only faith whose founder is still alive. See, Jesus is still alive, and he's still alive to offer relationship. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says this, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and to compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. They are without understanding. They're comparing all these things, trying to figure it out. But we're in this place of just surrendering to the relationship that Jesus paid the price for so that we could have. The thing, second thing we need to stop doing is allowing fear to make us territorial. To allow fear to make us territorial. Oftentimes when you start comparison and you start this game, you start collecting inventory. You start collecting territory. Uh, if I'm going to be better than that person, then I must have a better house. I must have a better car, right? I must have a better job. And, and then you have to hold that job because fear of losing that job, right, would make you less than your counterparts. And so you start gaining this territory over and over and over again. And, and it's really fear-based because you feel like there's only so much territory to be had. We equate God with real estate. We equate God with land. We equate, equate God sometimes like cake. Anybody like cake in here? Okay, so we had our five-year anniversary a couple weeks ago. We had nothing but cake. I mean, I mean the glory, the glory. It's manna, manna with that frosting over it, that cream cheese frosting. And it's just so good. It's always moist. How do they do that? Like, even when it's stale, it's moist. It's just unbelievable. It's God-given. And we had this at our five-year anniversary, and I had to pick it up early because they're closed on Sundays, so we refrigerated all of them. And I went, and we, we distributed all of them to the five-year anniversary, and lo and behold, we had one cake that I forgot to bring. I mean, how convenient is that? This is confession right now, confession. Well, obviously, God would not want this to go to waste. It must be, it must be consumed, obviously. And so, so we, we partook in that, and we just, we, we just loved, loved it. And I was eyeing how big a piece Brandy got. You know, I didn't want her to consume all of it. And I was make sure Brielle was proportioned accordingly. But, but just let you in on a little insight is Brandy and I, when we go to, like, anniversaries or, or we go to weddings, we, we love to get the wedding cake, and we love to try them out, you know, especially if it's like nothing but cake. And, and, and it's our little secret, but I'm going to let all you know and everybody on Facebook in the world, okay? We don't like to leave a wedding until we eat the cake. And then after the cake, we could care less, all right? We already know what you're doing, so we, we're going to get out of here. 
So, so we just want the cake. And, and so we wait for the cake to be cut. And, and usually I'll do a sneak attack to get the cake because when we got there, we looked at the cake, see how pretty it was. But I'm not looking how pretty it was. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing if there's enough, right? Is the cake big enough for the people they invited? And this, just right now, I'll let you know, if you don't order enough big uh, cake for the people you invited, shame on you, you know? Just like, get, get some, you know, lose the tie or something. Use the tie rental or, or something. I mean, just get some more cake, people. I don't know, maybe it's 100 wedding crashers that just came to that wedding who were just like, you know, all of a sudden, they didn't expect that many people. I don't know what it is. So, so if it's a real tiny cake, then I know if we're going to consume any of the cake, we must get first in line, right? I mean, we, we must. But what I do is I don't wait for the line. I just, I just like, I just, I'm going to get a coffee. I'll be right back. So I, I go get a coffee, and I watch them, and as they cut it, I sneak attack in there, and I grab a couple pieces, you know? And I grab a couple pieces, and I take them back before, before they, you know, deliver the rest of the cake. And then we get to try the cake, and then the people at the end don't get any cake. <laughs> And I'm sorry because they probably weren't invited in the first place. <laughs> it's crazy because this is, this is what we do when we compare. In comparison, all of a sudden, we, we are looking and we're afraid that we're going to run out of territory. We're afraid that, there, that God doesn't have enough blessing for me. That God doesn't have enough promotion for me. We, we look at it and maybe in our current situation, our current perspective, and we say, hey, man, there's just not enough cake to go around. But I want to just let you know that God has proportioned enough cake for everybody. He's given you enough for your fill and even more so that he's blessed you tremendously above and beyond. That God, God is infinite in his sources and the way that he gives. He's an infinite God who gives abundantly to you. And yet we feel like, God, but not me. You just don't have enough for me. And so this is how the comparison game starts. So we have to stop living with a little God in mind. We have to believe that our God is big, that our God is huge, that he's infinite, and that he wants to bless you, that he has enough love for you. He's not limited in proximity like your earthly mom and dad. Where, man, I did not hang out with my mom and dad enough. They're always hanging out with them. I didn't talk to them on the phone long enough because they're always talking to that one sibling. But it's okay because they really need it. So it's okay that they do that. But I really, I feel bad about it. I just, I just going to let you know that God has enough resources for all of you. That he, he's given you enough time. He's given you, he's given you everything that you need. Galatians 6.4, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. That we have to test what's really going on in our heart when we come to God. Teddy Roosevelt said this, comparison is the thief of joy. That that's what wants to happen is that we compare to steal the joy that's in your heart. The third thing that we have to stop doing is we have to stop devaluing others and celebrate them. And this one is hard to do. There's a German word that David is going to come up here and pronounce for you right now. Come on, y'all give it up for David Ruggles as he comes up and pronounces German word because I butchered it. I had to come bring this in. So Schadenfreunde. We can all say it together. Schadenfreunde. 
Shadan. Shadabada Honda. All right, somebody, tongue, something. Hallelujah. So this, this means harm joy is one of, the, one of the meanings of this, is that the fact is that this, pleasure derived from the misery of others, pleasure derived from the misery of others, that, that we oftentimes, when it comes to comparison, and we start playing this game, we start getting pleasure when other people fell around us. We start getting pleasure because they lost their riches, they lost their house, they fell out of fame. We start getting pleasure because they, they lost their job, they lost their spouse, they lost their kids, went wayward. We start getting pleasure out of that because, because we were comparing this whole time. And, and I'm just going to let you know right now that, that God has called us to bless others, to start celebrating with others, to, to believe for others. To believe for others. I, I, I was cooking steaks last night, and <clears throat> I thought I caused a, caused a grease fire. I mean, the fire was everywhere. It was kind of scary. And uh, thankfully, I was listening to sermons so, and writing this, so I knew what to do. So I knew that I needed to get baking soda or a pan, so I was ready. You know, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm firefighter ninja right here. I'm going to get this. And a grease fire just goes, and it just, it just flames up. And if you throw water on it, it just splashes it, and it just goes further, that it doesn't do that. And, and I just want to let you know that God's antidote for comparison is you celebrating others' achievements and blessings in their lives. This is how you start killing the comparison that happens so readily inside of you. So we have to start valuing others and celebrating them. Would you stand with me this morning as we just get ready to close? And I want us to think on a couple of things as we are standing. The truth is, is who am I? Who am I? I'm not, I'm not the measurement of my expectations. I'm not the measurement of my expectations or others' expectations of me. I am not that. Who am I? I am not going to operate out of fear and gain territory, realizing that God is a God who can supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Every lack of affection and lack of love and lack of, insecure, or lack of security or anything inside of me that God has enough to give to me. Who am I? I am a man. You are a man, a woman who will bless others achievements and successes that you're going to bless them when they get the promotion you're going to bless them when they get the a on school you're going to bless them when they do well that you're going to say well done man i knew you could do it i knew it could happen we're going to start blessing people and loving people and truth is is if we're going to stop something like comparison we have to start something else and the first thing that you have to start if you haven't so you got to start a relationship with Jesus. See, let me explain real quickly. Jesus was born of God's seed, perfect and holy. Never had a fault about him. He never compared. He constantly lifted people up and encouraged them and was building them up. You see, Jesus, Jesus lived this life perfectly, and you and I felt so short of that. As I was so vulnerable this morning talking about how I've compared. 
I've fallen short and you've fallen short. Romans 3.23 says we all fall short of the glory of God for all have sinned. But Jesus lived perfect. He lived a perfect life. And, and upon that perfect life, 33 years after walking this life, he gave his life as a ransom. He gave his life as a sacrifice so that you would not have to die, but that you could live. As he died on the cross, he was buried for three days, and then he rose from the grave, proving that he is the Son of God, proving that everything he said was true and legitimate, proving that he also had the power over death. And it says, for all those turn away from their sin and acknowledge Jesus as the truth and source of life and surrender to his lordship they have the rights to be called sons and daughters of the most high God who am I when I start with Jesus I'm a son when I start with Jesus I'm a daughter who am I I was lost but now I'm found. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? And I want to just, I want to just ask a question. If you never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you never made him Savior, but you want to surrender and trust him with your life, would you raise your hand this morning so we could pray for you? All right, you can put your hand down. Church, can we pray this prayer together? All of us together. Father God, we acknowledge that we fell short. But Jesus, we repent and we turn to you. We put our trust and our faith in you. Come seal us. Holy Spirit, we live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let me pray for you real quick. Father, we love you. God, with this trap that sneaks up and tries to trip everybody up in this amazing walk with you, God. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would give us strength to not compare. Strength to trust. Strength to love. Lord, let us be a people who are able to bless others. Let us be a people who don't walk in fear, but walk in love. And let us be a people who don't measure our identity to the person on the left or the right. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name.